if you joined us last time, you'll already know that 5G has got more than its fair share of detractors. 1G came with some problems that were fixed by 2G. 2G had some problems that were fixed by 3G. 3G had some problems that were fixed by 4G. What's 5G fixing? It's just making it faster. Yes, that super fast data transfer, ultra low latency and high bandwidth don't seem to justify the astronomical cost of implementing 5G, especially when consumers are already pretty happy with what they've got with 4G. We can talk about more bandwidth and lower latency all we want. What does that mean? Why does it make a difference? If I can download a movie in you know two seconds as opposed to two minutes, who cares? That's not a significant change in like the, the structure of the world. Today in part two of our 5G extravaganza, we'll be connecting the dots to find out what happens when test beds and trials go big, how 5G might redefine computing as we know it, and perhaps more importantly, why organizations should care about all of this stuff in the first place. The thing that 5G is going to enable that is significantly different from everything that's gone before and is fundamentally going to change the nature of the relationship between humans and computers going forward. All that and much, much more. I'm Michael Bird, and this is Technology Untangled. So last episode, we talked about some of the misconceptions about 5G, and you might want to go back and listen if you haven't done so already. Some of this might not make much sense to you. Anyway, we came to a bit of a conclusion. On its own, a single use case doesn't really cut the mustard. However, this is one of those big next moves. Bringing it all together is where we really see the fundamental changes. 5G as an enabler of other tech looks pretty promising, so I went out in search of an organisation who is doing just that. In 2019, the UK government's Department for Digital, Culture, Media and Sport put £35 million on the table to fund 5G testbeds and trials. And among the applications was an ambitious set of projects from Dorset Council titled 5G Rural Dorset. Here's program manager Colin Wood. Dorset Council wanted to upskill itself in terms of mobile connectivity. And we decided that it would be a really good idea to uh, do an application and try and help our communities solve some of their connectivity issues and maybe understand the potential of 5G to benefit rural communities. In the early stages of their application, Colin came across a new face who had just the kind of industry expertise he was looking for. Um, Dave Happy. I've been in telecoms and the internet world for about 35 years now. For those of you that can't see me know, I haven't even got any hair left. I was a former vice president of Samsung's R&D labs in Europe, employee number 12 at Motorola Cellular Subscriber Group when mobile technology was launched in the UK, and employee number one of the company that became Virgin Media. So yes, I'm really that old. Most usefully at the moment, I'm chair of the United Kingdom Telecoms Data Task Force. Dave had a really clear vision of how 5G could benefit rural communities and rural economies. And it was all about stacking use cases. If you try and implement 5G in an area such as rural Dorset and you have one use case in mind, commercially it just does not work. 
To actually get some value out of 5G, what you need is a project that is greater than the sum of its parts. 5G Rural Dorset's successful bid focused on a whole range of challenges that rural economies and communities face, such as coastal safety, agriculture, rural business, industry, and, well, just plain old connectivity. Rural areas need excellent connectivity as much, if not more, than urban ones. You know, we don't have motorways in Dorset. We have no motorways. Our road network is, in some cases, pretty poor. Getting from one side of the county to the other can take two hours, maybe even longer in the summer. So digital connectivity is fundamental to the future of our economy and our our communities. And, And why did Dorset Council identify 5G innovation as an area of interest? The reason really is because once we understood that 5G is not just a new radio radio antenna, it's a bundle of interdependent technologies with the potential to unlock new ways of living and working. This is not just about telecoms companies and, and mobile phones providing better handsets and coverage. It's got the potential to really impact on most sectors of the economy, whether that's an urban economy or a rural one. As the Internet of Things develops, the opportunities are really endless. And this idea of being able to use one network for multiple purposes really struck a chord with us. Many argue that internet connectivity is a human right and the UK government have made great strides in providing broadband connections via fibre to the cabinet, which basically is high-speed fibre optic cables to a dark green box out in the street and copper wires to your premises. But despite attempts to connect the whole of the UK, Dave says that plenty of rural areas have still got pretty poor service. Whilst we're hearing, including on the national news, about people being provided with laptops with 4G dongles to get mobile coverage, you've got to remember, in rural areas, the coverage isn't necessarily there. A key point, I think, to take away is that 1% of the UK's land mass is actually responsible for 45% of its data demand. Dorset, if you add to that the nature of the terrain and the cliffs and the hills, it's actually very difficult even to cover with radio. Clearly, fibre to the premises is the future, but we're dealing with some properties who are at the very end end of the line. The fibre really doesn't go to them. So is there a dimension where wireless 5G can provide the connectivity needs, stretch, if you like, that connectivity from where the fibre is and take it to where people really need it? I have this theory that people don't really care how the connectivity is delivered to them. I speak to people who live on farms every week and they are desperate for the connectivity. They need to just do simple things such as watch Netflix or file their uh, their returns to, to the government. That just doesn't exist in some places at the moment. Connectivity for All was the starting point for Colin and Dave and it soon spun up to something much bigger. You see... Dorset is famous for its UNESCO-designated World Heritage Jurassic Coastline. A beautiful tourist attraction, yes. Connectivity, not so much. And that's a bit of a problem. So Connected Coast, what that actually means in practice is providing connectivity along a very sensitive stretch of the coast so that we can keep people safe. I mean, that's the bottom line to it. We have a lot of visitors, millions of visitors come to the Jurassic Coast every year. But a lot of people who come here, they're not really uh, used to how the sea can catch you out. And unfortunately, we do have a number of deaths in Dorset every year from people who just get into trouble on the sea. So how can we help using technology to do that? By using buoys off the coast, which will be 
feeding information about the sea state and sea temperature, that kind of thing, giving people the information they need, using digital signage, displaying data around tide times, weather conditions. And we just want to make sure that everybody's the information to play really safely along our coast. We're an island nation. Safety along the coast is not just an issue for Dorset. This is a national issue. Coverage in coastal areas is notoriously poor. And it's also where we might most need to make an emergency call. Add to that those elements of monitoring and you've got yourself a pretty nifty set of use cases. But Colin and Dave weren't going to stop there. We kind of believe that our trials are the most ambitious agritech trials, 5G agritech trials ever undertaken in the UK. Under the umbrella of smart agriculture, those use cases start stacking up. Livestock, arable, aquaculture, which is farming in water. Everything from using drones to monitor crops from the air. We've got an element of connected cows, as we're calling it. Sensors on cows have been around for a while. But what does 5G add to that use case? Uh, We'll be looking into that. Machine automation. We've got elements of high-speed IoT connectivity, water monitoring. So we're working with a company that's based in uh, Portland, in Dorset, helping them to monitor their shellfish and seaweed crops using underwater cameras, making sure that they're not being stolen, which is a problem, believe it or not, monitoring uh, salinity levels, pollution levels, phosphorescence. I think that's a real opportunity for the industry. There's a super little company, the small robot company, that was recently allowed into our project. So we have a bunch of fully automated robots now, and we're looking at how they can be used to deploy from start to finish over a wide real-life farm area an arable crop. How do we optimise the yields? How can they be used more efficiently? Colin just mentioned things like connected cows and drones. Uh, Let me give you a few more here. Zapping weeds using lasers, because you don't have to use chemicals to do that, because you're, you're robot is so accurate that it can pick up a weed within two centimetres of accuracy. And all of these agricultural use cases are happily bolstering the need for connectivity, low latency, the whole nine yards. If you imagine us mapping a field using a remote robot, the ability to pinpoint something to that degree, you can begin to imagine the size of the data files, and you can also draw another really important conclusion. The great received wisdom is that everybody just wants coverage, that you only need low-frequency radio in rural areas because, hey, there's only a few people and sheep out there. Well, guess what, guys? It's wrong. Because if we're moving data files of terabytes, we want to process this information on the fly, decide where they're there's uh, infections or a corrective action needed in a field and acts before the beautiful British weather destroys our ability to do it the next day and causes extra thousands of pounds of damage to a particular crop on a given day. All of a sudden, we've got a farm that's got connected cows, it's got drones, it's got weed zappers. Incidentally, they still need to get their road tax from the DVLA and Swansea online. You put that all together and what you end up with is called the connected fence post. Because all of a sudden, instead of looking at a base station that might cover between five and eight kilometers in a rural area, it might cover three or five hundred meters. How is the network going to roll out for all of these use cases? It's going to vary. Um, It depends what else is there. It depends on the nature of the use case. So there's no magic answer to that. But I think getting too bogged down in that is perhaps of less importance. Um, It's actually making sure that we get those use cases working and leave the technology problems to us. 
Safe to say that there's plenty of good reasons to explore 5G in Dorset, and you can check out the rest of their awesome use cases on the website linked in the show notes. But for Colin and Dave, this was about way more than connected cows and weed zapping robots. This is an R&D project ultimately, and there's a big opportunity here to uh, upskill people in Dorset to give them the skills they need. So we'll be working with um, Kingston Morwood College, which is our local agricultural college. That is an opportunity for education for the next generation of farmers that are going to be producing the food that we all eat for the next 30, 40 years. It's one thing doing a project. These things come and go. What we want to do is leave a legacy. And the most important and most useful legacy we can leave, other than trying to make the tech sustainable and, and of real use to people, is to actually provide those skills to some of our own local communities. So I have a postgrad shadow from Exeter University. Bournemouth actually has a superb competence in cybersecurity, so we've been able to tap into that, and that is hugely important, whether it's some poor primary kid that doesn't have the connectivity, or whether it's a postgrad with real knowledge and experience who is the next generation and the hope for what we're all praying will be a massive success around 5G, then I think that's perhaps the most useful thing of all. The 5G Rural Dorset's project says forget the individual use case and look at the bigger picture. This is a viable connectivity solution for rural areas. And while faster download speeds are a welcome bonus, the real benefits are in terms of opportunity and experience. And for HPE Chief Technologist Chris Dando, experience is kind of the point. I happily had a 10 megabit uh, connection to my home, which was good enough for me to stream uh, high definition TV on, on a broadband connection. It's, it's quite interesting now that if I look at the speed that I get on my 4G phone, I get fairly similar sorts of connection speeds. What we see happening in the home land is a move to fiber to the property and therefore we're getting 500 megabit downloads, 100 megabit upload speeds, and we're going to need those sorts of speeds on cellular connections if we want to have the same experience when you're outside the home than when you're inside the home. As consumers expect more, networks will need to provide more. And according to Nokia's head of ecosystem and trend scouting, Leslie Shannon, it's our devices that are going to be demanding change in the network. The thing about 5G is that it enables what I call splitting the chip. Because if we think about the end devices that we have now, our smartphones, our laptops, our gaming consoles, what those actually have in them is basically this massive chip. It does all these wonderful things, but it also costs a lot of money, it generates a lot of heat, and it takes a lot of battery life. And so what 5G enables is the possibility for that end device to have the minimum processing necessary. Now, you might hear that and you might like look at your smartphone and go, I don't want minimum processing in my smartphone. And no, no, you don't actually. But think about the other devices that are out there, the ones that are coming up especially. Robots, drones, head-mounted uh, augmented reality devices. For all of these things, it actually benefits them to have a small, inexpensive chip in those that actually does that minimum processing, which means also that it has a lo much longer battery life and it generates not as much heat. Mmm, splitting the chip sounds delicious, if not contentious. I don't really like sharing my food. Sorry, where was I? Oh yeah, minimum processing. Got it. But where does 5G fit into that? 
you still want processing. So what 5G does is it's the bridge, it's the connection with its big bandwidth and low latency. It connects that minimum processing chip on the end device to servers sitting at the network edge. And 4G is not good enough for it. It doesn't have the latency. It doesn't have the bandwidth. And so what this does is it gives you a better end device in terms of cost and scalability and heat generation and being something light that you might want to wear on your head while pairing it with far more powerful computing power than is available in the single chips that are in devices today. Because now you're dealing with a whole rack of servers that are sitting in the network. So a few fancy new devices around using minimum processing power. Cool. But these sound like niche single-use cases again. Surely that's not going to justify the big spend and effort in implementing 5G. That shift powered by 5G is going to completely change everything. I believe very firmly that by 2030 and powered by 5G, our main interface with computing is no longer going to be two-dimensional screens that we relate to with touching and tapping or through a keyboard, but instead with head-mounted devices that we wear like, I mean, I wear glasses already. This is not too much of a stretch, right? And so if we can, if we have things that are light enough and affordable enough and can also correct vision, I'm just going to throw that in there too, then sure, I'll put it on my head and I'll wear it all day if the charge can last all day. But for the charge to last all day, it has to have that minimum processing. And 5G is what makes it possible. Right. Well, that came out of nowhere. It's interesting, but... It does almost sound a bit sci-fi. We're talking about a new wave of futuristic devices which are doing huge amounts of processing wherever they please. It sounds like the sort of thing I'd expect HP chief technologist Matt Armstrong Barnes to refute. Remember this? I'm also sceptical of the number of devices. So imagine my surprise when I heard that what's happening at the edge is exactly what Matt thinks 5G is useful for. Where it gets really interesting is the disaggregation of services. The disaggregation of what? You can take services that can be deployed into the edge of the network and make them available to consumers. The previous 12340 networks were really fundamentally designed around voice. You on your mobile phone talk to a cell tower and that cell tower communicates back in order to get you through to a centralized location that could then coordinate your conversation out. What you get with 5G is the ability to move compute intelligence deeper into the telecommunications network right into a cell tower. Both Matt and Leslie sound pretty keen on this edge processing thing. In other words, not sending information back to the data center, but dealing with it within the network itself. So what's the use of that? Aside from the head-mounted devices, which, for the record, I'm pretty keen on. Let's take the driving example. So I'm sitting in my car, I'm driving down the road. Michael, you're sitting in your car, driving down the road. If we're approaching a set of traffic lights, you want intelligence, not in your car, not in my car, but in the traffic lights. And the traffic lights turns around to you and says, Michael, your car, if it slows down by one mile an hour, and Matt, if your car speeds up by one mile an hour, obviously within the speed limit, which is imperceivable to a human being, we'll both pass through the traffic lights. Via 5G, these tricked out traffic lights would basically recognize we're in range, crunch the data, and tell our autonomous cars to adjust their speed accordingly. Pretty cool stuff. 
But what happens if my smart car has accidentally, oh, I don't know, blown a tire? This is where your car takes over. I don't want to talk to the traffic lights. I don't want to talk to a data center out there that could be thousands of miles away. My car needs to make immediate decisions as to what it's going to do. And at that point, my car is in control. So it uses all of the sensors that are built around it and the local processing for it to make decisions as to how it avoids potentially making a bad situation worse. All right. So the traffic lights do a bit of non-critical processing when we're in range. But when things are looking dicey, the car takes over with its local processing at the edge to make critical decisions. Those are the kind of use cases that we need to see coming out in the 5G space, which are really around how can we make the edge more intelligent? How can we deploy compute capability at the edge and leverage the real value that we're going to get out of deploying 5G? 5G and real value? You're sounding like a bit of an evangelist there, Matt. I can understand why 5G and edge computing might be a difficult sell, but it doesn't exactly roll off the tongue. But Leslie agrees, this concept has really got legs. 5G on its own? Who cares? 5G plus edge computing, that is actually where all the magic and where all the significant change happens. You know, there's many elements that go to latency, but actually physical distance is actually part of it. Because either way you're dealing over um, over wireless or over wireline over fiber networks, if you get above 300 kilometers away, then you can't be under 10 milliseconds. And so the servers do need to actually be close to the end users to actually get that latency. So yes, they will need to be in the network edge, which means that the phone companies of the world are actually going to have a really significant role to play here. Getting the servers actually close enough to groups of end users, that distribution of the network, that's what operators have. And so let me talk about something concrete here. You know, I'm wearing augmented reality glasses and say you're speaking, I don't know, Hindi to me. So my glasses are hearing the Hindi and then it's sending that voice file to the server in the network, which is instantly translating it to English and then then it's coming back to me either as an audio file or as a speech-to-text English translation of what you just said. If we're going to have anything like a possible conversation, then that has to happen super fast. If that sounds a bit pie in the sky, then you can hold on to your hats because when I called Puneet Sharma, Director Networking and Distributed Systems Lab at Hewlett-Packard Labs in California, he was on exactly the same wavelength. Excuse the pun we're moving the compute closer to where the workload is. What if we spoke different languages and I could add a translation service in between, moving it closer to the edge for reducing the latency and then working with the core where some of the heavy duty uh, translation services can all be stringed together in what is called a network slice in a seamless manner so that for every communication that we are having, we can actually sort of think of this as on the fly, being able to build a separate network for you. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Let's reel that back in a second. I was with you 100%, Puneet, until you said network slice. Again, sounds delicious, but what exactly does that mean? At a very high level, 5G wants uh, to be able to support a variety of services, right? Everything from the voice call or the video calls that we have so gotten used to from our phone, to uh, supporting the manufacturing or the enterprise workloads uh, that there are. And they all have disparate requirements. Some of them are high bandwidth, low latency, and then there might even be mobility involved. For example, right, what 
network slicing does is to be able to slice your network into these uh, guaranteed performance or experience kind of slices so that you can map the traffic appropriately so that it can get the appropriate treatment in terms of the amount of latency and the bandwidth that is available to it, for example. Network slicing can get pretty confusing for anyone who's not a networking pro. But what you need to know is this. One, it changes a single network into a smaller set of logical networks that all share infrastructure. And two, each of these logical networks has a precisely defined purpose and all of the resources they need are configured and connected end to end. The value for 5G is not just moving amounts of bits, but also being able to process. Think in terms of the service-based architecture and being able to provide the services. Why would individual organizations be interested in purchasing a slice of a network? So they're not necessarily purchasing a network slice. What they're purchasing is that quality of experience. The challenge also is how do you create these network slices which sort of transition across different the radio access networks that there are. Because if you're purchasing the experience, it doesn't matter whether you're on Wi-Fi or 5G. Hang on. Did he just say what I think he said? So we don't actually care that we're on 5G or not. I'm calling in a second opinion. Leslie? So why 5G and why not Wi-Fi or Wi-Fi 6? Ah, see, the implied in your question there is an or, that I would have 5G or Wi-Fi 6. And that is not the way it's going to be going forward. It's always going to be and. It's going to be 5G and Wi-Fi and Wi-Fi 6. And it's, you know, it's horses for courses. It's going to be different things solving different needs at different places. Okay, so Chris Dando, thoughts on the convergence of 5G and Wi-Fi? We're already seeing it. We're already seeing it. With 5G and Wi-Fi 6, we've now got capabilities to seamless authentication between the networks. Well, nobody told me. So the takeaway here, I guess, is that really the network we're on is less important, which brings us back to what we said earlier. 5G is about experience. Back to you, Panit. You should be able to say, look, I'm playing this particular kind of video game. I want the best quality of experience. There are going to be 10 of us. This is where our location is. Go make it happen. Right now, it's done more in terms of different components in the architecture telling, okay, give me one gigabit pipe between these two people. Nobody talks about the outcome as to, I want to make this video game happen. And a lot of the innovation we are bringing in is in terms of being able to actually deliver these outcomes and the experiences using the 5G core where you can, if you orchestrate well, you can do all these things. Panit and the team at Labs are exploring all kinds of weird and wonderful ways to slice the network and allocate resources. They don't want to say, here's your bandwidth limit or here's your latency. They want to offer exactly what you need right now. And 5G can make that happen. Panit's been banging the drum for this so-called intent-based networking for a while, and he credits a surprising source of inspiration. People who actually saw this the earliest were the Spice Girls. You know their song, Tell Me What You Want, What You Really, Really Want? 
that's what the 5G experience has to be all about. Being able to tell this is the experience I want and then using the sort of best orchestration of resources end to end. Absolute tune. Thanks, Panit. In a way, all of this slicing business echoes Dave Happy's sentiment. Let the networking pros figure out how to actually deliver the network. We just need to think about what we want to do with it. I went to TwitchCon in September of 2019, and I met a ton of professional streamers. So these are people who make their entire living from streaming on Twitch. And there's a lot of them. And as soon as I revealed that I was from the telco world, I was like flooded with like, when is 5G coming? And I'm like, oh my God, why do you care so much? And they're like, we want to be able to leave our desks. (laughs) so... So 5G is basically the bread. On its own, it's a bit boring, but with, you know. Yeah, you know, I I actually think of it, I think of it more as the mortar. Um, It's the mortar that holds together bricks. And so one brick might be my head-mounted augmented reality uh, device that looks just like regular eyeglasses that I wear all day long. And then 5G is what connects me to the powerful processing back in the network. I don't want to jinx it, but I think we're getting somewhere. Low latency and bandwidth are important. What that looks like right now seems to be gaming, but that's nothing to be sniffed at. We all underestimated video when 4G came around, and look at us now. In the future, low latency and bandwidth point to a couple of big changes. Firstly, in the way that we're connected. So think seamlessly bouncing between 5G and Wi-Fi to get the experiences that we want that we really, really want. Sorry, it's a total tune. And secondly, in the way our network architecture works, with 5G as the mortar that connects all of these devices and compute happening at the edge or wherever we want it to happen. And the more that 5G with its high-speed connectivity proliferates, the smarter we can make the world around us. So what do organizations need to know? You need to think about the art of the possible and the art of the future. So many different use cases are enabled by 5G, but as with AI and as with IoT, you need to really work out what is going to be beneficial to to my business and what is it that's really causing problems today and try and take small steps. Draw out a big picture and where you might like the future to be, but what are the quick wins so that you can start building up ahead of steam and actually start delivering on some benefits in the short term. And only once you know you need 5G, Chris says, you've basically got to get out there and experiment. Don't spend all your time designing the ultimate solution that is bulletproof. Start with something that works and can show some value. I see too many projects that spend too much time in the design stage rather than in the experimentation and testing phase. And 5G isn't just about enterprise organizations. Smaller organizations uh, you know, have less of a historic investment into existing technologies and processes, and therefore are much better positioned to adopt some of those capabilities that are enabled by 5G quicker. The key for me there would be don't, don't necessarily do what everybody else is doing, but look to see you what the innovators are doing and how people are doing things differently. Yes, innovation and changes are coming. And I wondered what Leslie thought the future looked like for organisations once we're all 
splitting the chip and living our edgy best lives. More computing, more robotics, more automation and all of this kind of thing. And that will necessarily change the way that organizations are and that they behave. And I know that there's a lot of people concerned about job loss and all that sort of thing. But this isn't the first time that humanity has gone through this. And we're going to be covering that in episode four of this season. So make sure you're subscribed. Okay, back to you, Leslie. I think that what is going to happen with the increasing rise of technology, and we've really seen this a lot in the pandemic already, is that better access means that where you are matters less and less. And so that means that somebody in Kentucky can be working for, say, a Silicon Valley company and be a computer programmer and stay home surrounded by their family, but still have a meaningful job in the new economy. And it doesn't even need to be a computer programmer. You know, I think YouTube content creators, um, I think we're seeing just a real democratization of where money is made and how money flows. Yes, and in a kind of roundabout way, it does link back to the possibilities of 5G for society. If we can get more mobile in the real sense of the word, then there's more opportunities for all. And that's certainly something that struck a chord for Colin Wood and Dave Happy. Our ambition is to have put Dorset into the eye of national players, national leaders, and give us a reputation really of, of, of a county that is beautiful, yes, but is really looking to the future and looking to create the skills and the jobs and the opportunities for our, our local people, but also bring people who, let's face it, no longer have to work in the cities. As long as the connectivity is good enough, you can live and work anywhere. And why wouldn't you want to live and work in one of the most beautiful counties in, in the UK? I'm putting the sales pitch out there now. <laughs> I'll give you the non-corporate one, but I would endorse actually everything Colin said because it's true. So my, my one would be, of course, based around poetry because of my Irish ancestry. I'd turn to a quote from, I think it was back to Methuselah, you see things that are and you ask why, and, and I'll adapt it slightly and I'll use we. We see things that never were and ask why not. And what we're saying is, why not? Why should it be that Ewan Minster doesn't have what Westminster has? Is there some divine right that says it needs to be that way? Is there something that we could do that would make a sustainable, lasting and material change and leave a legacy for those that come after? And God damn it, the answer is yes. So ends our deep dive into the brave new world of 5G. Yes, it's going to be fast. Yes, that low latency is kind of a big deal. And no, it's not going to fry your liver. 5G is at its best as an enabler for innovation, for stacking use cases, for ambitious IoT, and for exploring compute at the edge. It's going to support the next wave of devices, the number of which is still up for discussion, and get us to totally rethink our network architecture. And yes, it is happening. So maybe we should all stop worrying about the what, the where and the how of 5G and start thinking about getting these crazy futurist use cases off the ground because I, for one, am more than ready for my 5G-enabled personal transportation system slash home theatre. Hey, I've got to dream big. You've been listening to Technology Untangled. I'm Michael Bird, and a huge thanks to Matt Armstrong Barnes, Chris Dando, Dave Happy, Leslie Shannon, Panit Sharma, and Colin Wood. You can find more info, as always, in the show notes. This episode was written and produced by Isabel Pollard and edited by Alex Bennett, with production support from Harry Morton, Alex Podmore, and Tom Clark. 
Technology Untangled is a Lower Street production for Hewlett-Packard Enterprise. Thanks for tuning in and we'll see you next time.